thank you for listening. My name is Ho Jun Yoon, and this is Medicine on the Way. When the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only It is July 2013 and today's topic is pleural effusion. Pleural effusion is an abnormal collection of fluid in the space between the layer of the lungs and the chest cavity. The fluid in this space works as adherent or a glue somewhat attaching the lungs to the chest cavity. When the chest cavity expands by contracting diaphragm, the lungs expand as well because it is adhered to the chest cavity by the pleural fluid. Imagine a flat piece of glass and another piece on top. If you put drops of water between these two glasses, you would expect they become more attached to each other than without water. Pleural fluid works in the same mechanism between the inner surface of the chest cavity and the outer surface of the lungs. This collection of fluid in the pleural space does not stay in the same place forever. The pleural fluid constantly flows from the parietal pleural capillaries into the pleural space. The rate of the fluid flowing into the pleural space is 0.01 milliliter per kilo per hour. So if you're about 80 kilogram, then you're putting about 0.8 milliliter fluid into the pleural space every hour. This pleural fluid is finally absorbed back to parietal pleural lymphatics. There are many types of pleural effusions based on the pathophysiologic process. And I am not going to talk each disease that may cause the pleural effusion. But I will talk about two common types of pleural effusions. They are transudative and exudative pleural effusions. In transudative pleural effusions, the fluid is overflowing into the pleural space. Absorption rate cannot catch up with input volume from the capillaries. This occurs when the pressure inside the parietal pleural capillaries increases, as in heart failure, or fluid is extracted more easily out of the vessels, as in nephrotic syndrome. In other words, there is increased hydrostatic pressures and decreased oncotic pressures. There are two mechanisms in exudative pleural effusions. The fluid builds up because the pleural capillary becomes permeable, or the fluid is not being absorbed into the lymphatic system. Pneumonia or cancer can cause this. There are terms for pleural effusions based on what is causing it. For instance, paraneumonic pleural effusions typically after bacterial pneumonia, empyema when there is infection in the pleural space, paramalignant pleural effusions when there is an effusion with cancer, but repeated tests for tumor cells in the pleural fluid or the space is not diagnostic. This paramalignant effusion happens with any form of cancer, but especially common with breast and lung cancers. 
fluid specimens are sent for cytology exam. If it is negative, another specim specimen is sent if your suspicion is high for para uh, malignant effusion. If the result is again negative, thoracoscopy is performed. Lastly, it is neither transudative nor exudative, but happens with trauma. And this type of pleural effusion is hemorrhagic pleural effusion. Why is it important to categorize pleural effusions into transudative, exudative, or hemorrhagic? Because treatment plans differ based on what's causing the pleural effusion, as we will discuss later on. Signs and symptoms include dyspnea, cough, or chest pain with breathing. Patients can be asymptomatic with small pleural effusions. When you percuss to normal lung fields, you hear a sound reflecting layers of chest cavity, the lungs, lung tissues, and numerous small airspace of alveoli, and you describe the sound as resonant. But when you percuss to the fields with effusions, there is additional layer of the fluid built up and the sound becomes dull when you percuss. So you describe the sound as dull. Breath sounds may be absent because of the fluid accumulations between the air flowing in the lung and where we listen with our stethoscope for the breath sound. Now, I want to clarify what you would hear with voice. I just said breath sound may be absent in the pleural effusions because of the fluid accumulation in the pleural space. We have to know how breath sound is different from vocal sound. We hear breath sound because it is air turbulence inside your lungs. Again, it is air turbulence in the air, airway and the lungs. However, Vocal sound is generated by vibrating the vocal cord. If you remember your physics, sound is somewhat like a sinusoidal pattern of energy transmitted by media, uh, mediator. When I speak, my vocal cord vibrates, changing density of the air particles. This change in air density is detected by your ears, and they sense it as a sound. When we hear voices with stethoscope on the chest, we're hearing sounds generated from the focal cord, transmitted via air particles, but mostly via body tissues. As you can imagine, our body tissues are much denser than the air, so the sound transmitted more readily. Another analogy is when you're totally submerged in the water. You may have experienced hearing voices of other people in the water much louder than when you're outside, outside the water. This is because water is not transmitting the sound and water is denser than the air. Now, when you ask a patient with pleural effusions to say a word or anything, would you hear the voice louder or quieter? Because you have this denser sound transmitter, or the fluid accumulations in your pleural space, you would expect the sounds to be louder. A clinical finding known as egophony is based on this phenomenon.
So there is a new pleural effusion, and we don't know what's causing it. And we don't we know the cause, but it is not resolving as expected. Then we perform thoracentesis. Otherwise, pleural effusions can be just monitored in a situation, for instance, heart failure causing bilateral pleural effusions. And we know this would be resolved after treating the heart failure. From what we collect with thoracentesis, we can determine what category of pleural effusion it is. Glucose, protein, and lactate dehydrogenase of the collected pleural effusion is measured to determine whether it is exudative or transudative effusion. Exudate has one or more of followings. Number one, ratio of pleural fluid protein to serum protein is greater than 0.5. Number two, ratio of pleural fluid lactate dehydrogenase to serum lactate dehydrogenase is greater than 0.6. Number three, pleural fluid lactate dehydrogenase is greater than two-thirds the upper limit of normal serum lactate dehydrogenase. In transudative effusions, pH is between 7.4 and 7.55. Pleural glucose is equal to serum glucose level, and white cell is less than 1,000. Hemothorax is defined as a ratio of pleural fluid hematocrit to peripheral blood hematocrit greater than 0.5. About 100,000 red cells per milliliter pleural fluid will show a blood-tinged pleural fluid sample from thoracentesis. Empyema is shown with purulent color of the pleural fluid, and it is separated to a clear layer above a collection of white cells after being centrifuged. If the fluid remains milky white even after being centrifuged, it is described as chylose effusion. In tuberculosis, positivity with culture from the pleural fluid is low. Latent phase with granuloma is revealed only about 60% cases, and culturing three pleural biopsies with histologic exam can detect about 90% of the patient. However, adenosine deaminase and interferon gamma level in the pleural fluid can be helpful to diagnose tuberculosis. Once in a while you find pH below 7.3, then you have to drain the pleural space. If you find amylase in the pleural fluid, think of the source such as pancreatitis, pancreatic pseudocyst, or esophageal rupture. On a regular chest x-ray, effusions are detected in the lateral costophrenic sulcus on the frontal view when there is about 200 milliliter of fluid and 100 milliliter fluid in the posterior costophrenic sulcus on the lateral view. Let me say that one more time. 200 milliliter fluid on the frontal view, and that is in the lateral costophrenic, and 100 milliliter fluid in the posterior costophrenic sulcus on the lateral view. CT scans, however, can detect as little as 10 milliliter of effusion. A collection of the pleural fluid can be trapped in a certain area by forming adhesions the pleural space, and this effusion is described as loculated. 
As I mentioned above, treatments for the pluriffusions depend on the cause. In translative pluriffusions, there is hardly any pleural disease. So we treat translative effusion by treating what is actually causing the effusions. For instance, if heart failure is causing an effusion, then we treat the heart failure. In exudative pluriffusions, there are two common types of pluriffusions, and they are malignant pluriffusions, paraneumonic pluriffusions. For malignant effusions, treatments are radiation therapy and or chemotherapy. If patients are asymptomatic, there is no specific treatment needed. If patients are symptomatic, then a therapeutic thoracentesis can be performed. When the effusion reoccurs, patient can have either serial thoracentesis, pleurodesis, or putting indwelling drainage catheter. There are three categories under paraneumonic pleuroeffusions, uncomplicated, complicated, and empyema. Treatments for uncomplicated paraneumonic pleuroeffusion and empyema is straightforward. Exudates are sterile and freely flowing in uncomplicated paraneumonic effusions. The effusion resolves quickly with antibiotic treatment for the pneumonia. Drain is usually not needed. Empyema is demonstrated with positive gram stain or culture, and there is gross infection in the pleural space, and it should be drained by thoracostomy. Complicated paraneumonic effusions are tricky. We think there is inflammation with low pH, low glucose level, and presence of loculation, and yet positive bacterial cultures are rarely shown. The complications of this effusion is that you're forming a sort of uh, strip that is fibropurulent. And this strip can cause permanent pulmonary impairment. There is no strict guideline to treat complicated paraneumonic effusion. However, drainage is considered when lactate dehydrogenase is above 1,000 units and PA is between 7.2 and 7.3. In hemothorax, or hemorrhagic pleuroeffusion, close observation is tried if the blood volume in the pleural space is small, or it is improving on chest radiographs. Otherwise, an immediate insertion of thoracostomy tube is needed. The tube insertion drains any blood or clots from the pleural space. It helps measure the amount of blood and prevents from forming fibrosis. Okay, that's it for this episode, and I thank you for listening.